guys ever go to like summer camp? I did not. I went to like a gymnastics camp. I went to cheer camp, but it wasn't like were, were out in like, the woods. I was in, was were in the they school like gym. Over, overnight at all? <laughs> I would have wished I was yeah. in the woods. The amount of sweat and nastiness that's in a gymnastics like gymnasium. Yeah. I probably would have wished that I was in the woods. In the middle of summer? Yeah, I was in the middle of summer. I was Are in you my about school to gym. My high school gym was my cheer camp. We slept in the gym. See, we were inside people. <laughs> you know. Why are you about to ruin the outside ones for um, us? Yeah, I'm about to ruin um, summer camps. I've oh. been camping one time for everybody, and it was for Tomorrow World when it was in Atlanta in like 2014, 15, maybe. Never even done like an outdoor music festival like where you camp at it. That's so, the only one I've done. I just I fucking hate the outdoors. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't fun. It was in like July. Yeah, I, in I Atlanta. Wanna, yeah, no, fuck that. I went to War Tour in Salt Lake. And that was just yeah, but that's over. That's just that mis- day. It was just mi- no. I'm just like talking about just being outside in the heat. I can't do that. I don't like being hot. Like I like I like being outside at the beach because there's like airflow. If there's no airflow, I don't even like the beach. I don't like mosquitoes and I don't like bugs. Mm-mm. So if you put me in the woods, like I'm not gonna be a fan of that. Well, Mm-mm. were either of you ever in Girl Scouts? My yeah. sister was for like half a season. <laughs> so that was a short-lived venture? That was a very short. Did, did I think she, she went to did Savannah. Did she not sell enough cookies? I don't think she ever even got to the cookie selling part of the season. That's the only reason you do it. I know. Trust me. She wasn't even part of like she the She wasn't pyramid, even part of it. The pyramid scheme nope. of girls. The nope. free labor of cookie salesmen. Yeah. I love Girl Scout cookies. Oh, dude, you give me some Samoas and it's, mm, it's fucking thin over. mints and the tagalongs. What's the what's Smack the jam. one with the uh, the peanut butter and chocolate the tagalongs? Those. those I don't are even my like shit. shit like that. Bye. Yeah, get, get out. out. You're fired. <laughs> me and Eric got this from here, Christian. Yeah. Don't worry about uh, it. All right. Well, here. <laughs> this concludes my my involvement. <laughs> Bye. Uh, your hatred of Girl Scout cookies is just. Calls us to terminate your contract. I think she might actually be possessed now. Yeah. Oh, uh, she might actually be a demon. You had there to last week. Not today, Satan. Well, all right, guys. (laughs) Welcome to Creeps in the Crypt. If not today, what about tomorrow? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to Creeps in the Crypt. So, uh, to kick off our summer of slaughter that we have so graciously dubbed it for the summer of 2021. We are going to talk about the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. These murders occurred in Locust Grove, Oklahoma, which is located in Mays County, slightly northeast of Tulsa, and it gets its name from a grove of locust trees. The Girl Scouts have operated Camp Scott since 1928, and Camp Scott sat on 410 acres of densely wooded terrain. Campers were assigned by age groups to the various camps within Camp Scott. The Kiowa camp for the younger girls was set up in a horseshoe pattern. There were 12 by 14 canvas tents set up on wooden platforms that held three to four cots each. So I'll be posting pictures of these tents on our Instagram. Mm -hmm. When you see these things, you will definitely think right away, I would never let my child stay in this thing. Absolutely not. Like, these things look like they belong in a refugee camp. Yeah. Like, it's awful. Each of these camping areas were named after Native American tribes. 
the number seven tent at the Kiowa camp was located at the end of the horseshoe configuration. It was the farthest tent from the counselor's tent, but the closest to the bathrooms. The way that the tents were set up, it was kind of hard to see the tents next to you due to the dense wood coverage. When researching this case, you uh, might sometimes find the victim's tent referred to as either tent seven or tent eight. This is due to uh, just depending on like what source you're reading. They might include the counselor's tent as starting at tent one, or they might count the first girl's tent as tent one. So on June 12th, 1977, approximately 130 young Girl Scouts from all over the Tulsa area gathered at the Magic Empire Council of Girl Scouts headquarters in Tulsa. They prepared to board a caravan of buses for the annual week-long camping trip to Camp Scott. The camp is located about two miles from the town of Locust Grove and about 50 miles from Tulsa. A first-time camp counselor, 15-year-old Michelle Hoffman, noticed Denise Milner as she was the only African-American scout in the group. This would be Denise's first time at Camp Scott. She had some reluctance with going and was kind of already showing signs of homesickness even before leaving the Girl Scout headquarters. Michelle Hoffman took it upon herself to take Denise under her wing and rode with her on the bus to the camp. She told her all of the great things they were going to do at the camp. Michelle promised Denise's mother that Denise could use the phone and call home the next day if she still wanted to go home. I find the story of Denise Milner the saddest out of all of these. I know. It is. This is. It breaks my mama heart. I'm just going to go ahead and warn everybody. This is not going to be a fun, laughy episode. This is Oklahoma's. This is, like most disturbing unsolved case. This is horrifying. It's like awful. what happens to these poor girls? So 10 year old Doris Denise Milner was a straight A student. She'd already been accepted into the Carver middle school, a Tulsa magnet school that was created for exceptional children. On top of that, she worked hard and sold enough Girl Scout cookies to go on the trip along with her friends Unfortunately, at the last minute, her friends backed out, leaving her to go alone. And she was nervous and afraid and wanted to back out herself, but her mother wouldn't have it. She encouraged her to go. She had never been to camp before, and it would be an exciting experience, and it would help her gain some independence. All of the campers arrived between 3.30 and 4 p.m., Spilling out of their buses, the girls scurried to find their units and tents, dropping off their sleeping bags and backpacks. In all, there were 27 campers assigned to the Kiowa camp. Denise Milner would soon meet her two bunkmates, Lori Farmer and Michelle Goose. The trio seemed to hit it off. The youngest girl to attend camp that summer was Lori Lee Farmer, who was just eight years old. She was the oldest of five children in her family and had to make the very difficult decision whether to go to Camp Scott with the Girl Scouts or attend camp at the YMCA. Oh, dude. I know. That's <laughs> awful. Like, talk about making the wrong fucking decision. I know. And she couldn't even decide which one to go to. No. Her mom chose for her. Oh, my How God. How does her mom even live with that? that she was I the one wouldn't be able to. I don't think she could. 
I would not be able to. Like, that's going to be a decision that haunts her for the rest of her fucking life. Mm-hmm. Lori was very smart and mature for her age. So when the bus came to take her to the camp, which was only 45 minutes from her home, her mother hugged her and told her she loved her. And nine-year-old Michelle Heather Goose was excited to return to camp. It was going to be her second year. And before she left home, she made sure her mother was going to take care for her plants. And you know she had a green thumb. African violets were her specialty. She hugged her parents goodbye and let them know that she would miss them. This is so, like, insane because all three of these girls are extremely fucking talented and have mm. promising lives ahead of them. There was supposed to be a fourth girl in their tent, and due to a clerical era, uh, they fucked up and stuck her in a different tent, and we're going to put her in that tent, but it didn't happen that night. They were going to do it the next day. The evening brought with it a rainy thunderstorm, and the girls spent their tent spent time in their tents writing letters to their families. The counselors would not have been looking forward to this first night as it was often punctuated by the screams and giggles of overexcited girls as they got used to their new surroundings. We have letters. We have those letters that the girls wrote to their families. So I'm going to read Michelle's first. Okay. So she's writing to her Aunt Karen. She says... Dear Aunt Karen, how are you? I'm fine. I am writing from camp. We can't go outside because it is storming. Me and my tent mates are in the last tent in our unit. My tent mates are Denise Milner and Lori Farmer. My room is in shades of purple. Love, Michelle. Mm. And then uh, Lori's letter says... Dear Mom and Dad and Misty and Joe and Chad and Kathy, we're just getting ready to go to bed. It's 7.45. We're at the beginning of a storm and having a lot of fun. I've met two new friends, Michelle Goose and Denise Milner. I'm sharing a tent with them. It started raining on the way back from dinner. We're sleeping on cots. I couldn't wait to write. We're all writing letters now because there's hardly anything to do. With love, Lori. And then Denise's letter. This is the most heartbreaking (laughs) one of them all. So, And that's why we saved it for last. (laughs) So she's writing to her mom. Says, Dear Mom, I don't like camp. It's awful. The first day it rained... I have three new friends named Glenda, Lori, and Michelle. Michelle and Lori are my roommates. Mom, I don't want to stay at camp for two weeks. I want to come home and see Cassie and everybody. Your loving child, Denise Milner. I find it extremely haunting that these are the last words these girls ever wrote. I know. It's just... I mean... She didn't even want to go. She didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be there at all, and her fucking mom, like, told her it was all going to be okay. And she didn't... Ugh. Late that Sunday night, Michelle Hoffman returned to tent number seven to check on Denise. 
She found Denise getting ready for bed with her two new friends, and just as Hoffman had hoped, she seemed to be adjusting. Around the camp, one by one, lights went out. Before turning in, a lot of the girls engaged in a little horseplay with their flashlights. One of the other campers was 10-year-old Amy Sullivan. Another first-time camper wrote in her diary that night by flashlight. When she finally switched it off, the last in her tent to do so, she remembers the feeling of being swallowed up by darkness. It was the darkest dark I had ever known, she said, adding it was both a little scary and a little magical at the same time. I couldn't tell if my eyes were open or shut. Sullivan didn't know it then, but that darkness would stay with her. She said, it became my personal measure of any darkness from that night forward and ever after. Ooh. All right, guys. 10. Yeah, that's, that's some heavy shit that she wrote that. Yeah. That place has always been known to be, like, super creepy. Like, from Jump Camp Street. Scott. Huh? You talking about Camp Scott? Yeah. So I'd read um, just from other campers talking about it. Like, when you get there, it's just this wild thicket. Mm-hmm. And it almost, like, blots out the sky. It just, the sky turns dark. Oh because God. of how much, like, just underbrush. And, like, dense woods yeah. it is. Oh, hell no. Mm-mm. I'm not trying to play in the woods like that. It's like a cryptic breeding ground. Mm-hmm. I know. Ooh. I mean, tell tell for... me more. <laughs> I've got Christian's attention. I yeah. know, right? I mean, you already had my attention. <laughs> but as soon as you said cryptids, I perked up. I, I was, saw your feelers perk up. I mean, it was 410 acres. That's a that's lot. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of woods. Cool. The Jersey Devil would be in heaven. Maybe that's where he vacations at. Maybe that is where he vacations. I think Jesus it is. Christ. <laughs> Doing a shout out to a Trash Bets episode. <laughs> not only could the campers not see anything, not much could be heard either. The platform tents were sturdy structures, and the trees and undergrowth crowding in helped absorb the sound. Gradually, the giggles subsided, and the girls drifted off to sleep. At some time before 10 p.m. on June 12th, the counselor of Comanche Comanche? camp sees a light in the forest moving north towards the Kiowa camp. At 10 p.m., D. Elder makes a tent check of Kiowa and is satisfied that everyone and everything is okay. Around midnight, Carla Wilhite has to head over to the latrines to escort some noisy girls back to their tents. By 1.30 a.m., girls in tent six are still making noise, and the understandably frustrated Carla Wilhite shines her torch in their direction and shouts at them to stop. It's at that time that she hears a strange sound coming from behind the tents. In the documentary, Someone Cry for the Children... One can sense that she struggles to find the words to accurately describe it. It's a low, guttural sound, somewhat like a frog and a bullhorn. When she shines her torch in the direction of the noise, it stops. She heads back to her tent and goes to sleep. The noise is heard intermittently after that. It, it's described as sounding inhuman. Yeah, and not human and not animal. Yeah. So otherworldly, even. Mm-hmm. Which, 
who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Play Twilight music. <laughs> Around 3 a.m., there are two reports of girls in other camps being woken by noises. One report is of a single scream, may have been earlier, maybe around 1 a.m., and the other is of a girl crying out for her mother. Around the same time, someone is moving through Kiowa Camp, reaching into tents and stealing items, notably purses and several pairs of prescription glasses. The last story from a surviving witness is from the girls in Tent 6, who say that their tent flap was pulled back and a man shined a light into their tent. After a few seconds, the flap was replaced, and he moved on to Tent 7. I can't believe nobody, like, heard, they heard screams and a girl crying for her mother at 3 a.m. And nobody said anything. Like, the counselors didn't hear it. Like, there was weird shit going on. Yeah. What counselor got up? What's crazy is these counselors are like, 20. I was one of when the 15 year old. Yeah. There was, well, she was like a counselor's assistant. Yeah. The she other wasn't counselors even a counselor. Are like, they're all like college students that are just like, this is like their summer job while right. they're like, just. So, how would you, I mean, like. I still wouldn't know. And I'm almost 30. I wouldn't know. What am I supposed to do with all these little girls? Hey, I can't say to other people's children. If you're a stranger's child, I don't, uh-uh. I don't, no. I, don't like I mean, you. I can't hold it against the counselors because in that situation, I mean, what the fuck do you do? You get you are responsible for 20 what at Kiowa, 27 little girls that are like you 10 get and the hell up and you go figure out what the hell that noise is. I don't yeah. care. You're responsible for children, other people's children. If you can't handle that responsibility, don't be a camp counselor. I would never be a camp I wouldn't, counselor. I could not be a camp counselor. I would never. No. No. I get anxiety from dealing with uh, <laughs> two kids. Oh, my God. My own child gives me anxiety. I can't imagine 27 other people's children. I feel like children, like, just on their own are just, like, the epitome of, like, a buzzkill and an anxiety attack at the same time. I can't. Like, both. Like, imagine filling both of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're like, really? And then, like, really? Well, you would think that... I'm the, the adult. <laughs> <laughs> you would definitely think that the, somebody would hold this camp responsible for what's getting ready to happen. The next morning, at around 6 a.m., Carla Wilhite, a camp counselor, was on her way to take a shower when she discovered a sleeping bag in the forest. Upon further investigation, she found that a girl's body was inside. She continued down the trail and found the bodies of two more young ladies about 150 yards from their tent. Lori Lee Farmer, Michelle Heather Goose, and Doris Denise Milner had all been raped, bludgeoned, and strangled to death. Denise Milner was found nude from the waist down, with her pajama top pulled up underneath her arms. Her hands had been tied behind her back with duct tape, and she'd been beaten around the face. Around her neck, a cord and an elastic bandage were visible. A round, cylinder-shaped object about four inches long 
made of terry cloth was attached to the cord. The elastic bandage had been used as a blindfold and the terry cloth object as a gag. Oh my God. That is. That was hard to read. Yeah. That was hard to get through. It's not going to get any easier. I know. So. Take a swig of your wine or whatever you're drinking and just power through it. Yep. Michelle, Heather Goose, and Lori Farmer were found inside their sleeping bags. Both bodies had been bound into a tight, compact, fetal-like position. Goose and Farmer were killed inside the tent. They were struck by a heavy, blunt object in the back of their heads while they slept. Milner may have been led out of the tent, raped, and then killed. When found... Her face had been beaten with such force that the object responsible had left behind its shape. She had died on the trail. Her cause of death was strangulation, not blunt force trauma. She didn't die from taking that massive blow to the head. Mm -mm. So she was definitely the one crying for her mother at the, like, yeah, gotta be. Cause it sounds like, cause she had already didn't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Was she the one that screamed? Oh, we, I think that's so. that's what people think. Because there was one that there was like a scream, and then there was Someone one that was crying for her mother. mother. So the other two were like killed, like they were killed in the tent. Mm-hmm. I would say she was probably bound and gagged, and forced to watch what transpired with the other two. Mm-hmm. Police were called. And the investigation started around 7.30 a.m. They found a large red flashlight next to the girls' bodies. And it even had a fingerprint on the lens. But to date, the owner of that fingerprint has yet to be identified. Was this flashlight the one that people had seen moving through the camp the night before? Possibly. Investigators found a shoe print in blood inside the girl's tent. The shoe size was nine and a half. When they were discovered, investigators determined that Lori had likely been killed first, then Michelle, and then Doris last. So one other thing that they found was a pair of women's sunglasses or women's glasses. Mm -hmm. Just keep keep the women's glasses in mind. By 8 a.m. on June 13th, Sheriff Glenn Pete Weaver knew he would need the assistance of a larger force and requested help from the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, or OSBI. Which they will be referred to from here on out. Autopsies performed by medical examiner Neil A. Hoffman showed all three girls had been sexually assaulted and all three girls were struck with a blunt instrument in the head. One girl was hit once, another six times, and the third struck three times. I could not get it to list who got hit how many times. I don't think I want to know. I could not find any of that information. Michelle and Doris had their wrists bound behind their backs and had been gagged. Lori was neither bound nor gagged. Michelle's ultimate cause of death was strangulation, while Lori and Doris had been killed by blunt force trauma to their heads. 
The autopsy would confound the case further when the coroner found weapons used were held in both the left and the right hand. So this led them to think... is ambidextrous. Yeah. Well, he probably got... The person probably got fucking tired from taking swings. Beating children. Yeah. It was also evident that more than one weapon was used in the bludgeoning. And two different knots had been used in tying the girls. So were these signs of a second killer or accomplice or... Multiple Whatever. At 10 a.m., they made the decision to evacuate the camp, which why that wasn't automatically like everyone get the fuck up and get the fuck out. Yeah. Upon discovering the bodies. Because before the parents were even notified, the camp director called their legal team. Because he knew. like this. I is- mean... Before anything even happened. I mean... Before, even before the police were fucking called. Okay, that's not okay. But I get why. I, the logical side of me understands why they would call their legal team. But at least call the police first and foremost. Get yeah. the counselors to get the children up and far the, oh, as far away from Camp Kiowa as possible. Oh, and then 100%. call their legal team. There's a, there's a course of action here and they did not take the correct course. No. But that's just my opinion. What's that worth? <laughs> We're just podcasters. <laughs> what do we know? I mean, what do we know about timelines and, you know, right things to do? Nothing. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what are those? Yeah, what's the right thing to do? The girls were loaded onto charter buses and sent back to the Girl Scout headquarters, having been told there was a problem with the water. Parents were notified that they needed to pick up their children, but not given details of what had occurred. Yeah, they didn't tell anybody Mm-mm. anything except for the immediate families. Unfortunately, the press had already gotten a hold of the story, and some parents heard about it on the radio before they even made it to meet their children. The reports differed initially over the circumstances, whether the deaths were foul play or some freak mishap. These parents had no idea if their kid was alive or dead. That's the question I was going to ask you. Like, who was who was contacted? Who, who the fuck contacted the media? Yeah. Uh, probably one of the, the counselors. Could you imagine being like... The counselor that says, "Can you hey, imagine being the parent?" I would lose. Well, my, whole, my freaking mind. Well, how about if you're the counselor that you that are called get, the media? Well, that or if you were the counselor that calls the parent and says, "Hey, we need you to pick up your child. There's been a problem with the water," and they're like, "No, actually, I heard on the news. It's actually there's like an incident that has occurred." Well. We can't really discuss that. And, like, that's, like, that's the normal realm of, like, the, where they would go. Like, we can't legally discuss it. I don't know what kind of... I, mean, I would hell. love to have been in that conversation of what they said to these counsel These 20-year-old counselors that have no idea of, like, hey, you have to call, make these calls. I mean, at least back in the 70s, the media didn't go widespread as quickly as it does yeah. today. Oh, I mean, okay. hell, so they, they could have picked up off of a police scanner even. Right. And they could be like on their way to go get their kid um, by the time they hear it or yeah, like I mean, almost the media, there. The media could have picked it up off a police scanner, possibly. Because I mean, those were public, I mean, they public did, channels. They, yeah. 
They do that now. Yep. Just under 24 hours earlier, they had been dropping their daughters off for camp and saying their goodbyes. Now, the families began to get the alarming news about the deaths. They heard it in different ways. One mother was at a beauty shop when the news came over the radio there. They were about to blow dry my hair, and I rushed to the phone and called my husband, one of the moms told a reporter later. Through Scouts officials, families were able to learn that the buses would be bringing their children back to Tulsa. And before noon, they began gathering at the council building in anticipation. There, huddled in groups, some inside, others on the lawn, they waited. Although they knew that the victims' families had been informed, most of those on hand were firm in their agreement. They would not and could not rest until they saw their child step off that bus. I totally understand that. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Nobody knew. Nobody knew anything. They they just threw a vague statement out there. That incident had occurred. And we will get more into this on episode two. There was just fuck up after fuck up after fuck up of how this was handled. The campers still knew nothing of what had happened. And the scene before them, parents, news cameras, and vans only added to their confusion. Could you imagine pulling up at the Girl Scout headquarters and, there's and all that commotion? And, and you're like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, I thought there was just like a problem with the water. And then like my mom's here to pick me up. But yet there's news outlets here. What yeah. do they care about the water? Right? Situation? Like what's going on? I think every single one of us on the buses just stood up when we saw them all. Said Amy Sullivan, the camper who'd been writing in her diary the night before. It was like a mob scene. Sullivan remembers her grandmother who picked her up because her parents were in Dallas looking distraught as she came out of the crowd. Together, they collected her things and then drove away. A few minutes later, at a stoplight, Sullivan recalled, I remember looking at her very closely. I asked her what happened. Oh, honey, her grandmother replied crying. Three girls were killed at your camp last night. Killed? Sullivan asked. The word didn't quite register. Killed. How could it? At 10 years old. I was 10. Just, I was 9. I'm sorry. I was 9 at 9-11. And I still didn't fully understand what was going on. Yeah. I was pulled out of school. And was like, what? Yeah, they just let everybody go home early that Can because- you... 18-year-olds weren't alive yeah. when this happened. Eight, kids who are 18 today weren't alive for 9-11. That's crazy. That rung, that rung my bell yesterday. I was like, <laughs> wait, what? I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. (laughs) So Amy said, at camp, while I slept, I could not understand how that could be. The light turned green and her grandmother accelerated, but the tears on her cheeks, Sullivan remembers, stayed there as if frozen. That's fucking haunting. Mm -hmm. This is just fucking tragic. All around. I'm glad I've had... Like three glasses. Yeah, of water I, for seriously. This. I shotgun two beers before we do this. <laughs> I can't. Because I was like, I oh. knew. I knew. I knew when you were like when we were grocery shopping, like to get ready for dinner, and then like do this episode. I was like, I'm going to need to do an entire bottle of wine. I'm glad you made comfort food. Yeah. Yes, there was comfort involved. There we're, was we're, chicken bog. There was chicken bog and comfort involved. I walked in. Christian was like, "You want some chicken bog?" 
Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Before we do this I episode. need to prepare myself. That night, in her diary, after her own tears had finally come, Sullivan tried to sum up the day. I came home from camp, she wrote, because something happened at camp. Three girls got killed. Sullivan doesn't remember when, but sometime later she crossed out, killed, and above it, wrote murdered. Why at 10 do you know the word murdered? I don't think I... Um, she might have done it I later might have known on. the word murdered. She probably did it later. I mean, if we're speculating here, I mean, she may have gone back and say, okay, you know what? That's not... They weren't just killed. This and was... A brutally is, murdered. Yeah. Just... Killed is like, a, when I think of killed, I think of it like an accident. Right. And this was like, no like accident. Somebody drowned. This, this or... was premeditated 100%. Oh, absolutely. Maybe. It could have been an opportunity. Do you think it was an opportunity based on knowledge? I mean, he that definitely was, was, was prepared. Oh, yeah. Like, he knew. He knew exactly. But, where or he... the persons were prepared. It might have been an opportunistic crime. We will find out on episode two. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah. After the buses had left Camp Scott for Tulsa, Michelle Hoffman stayed behind, helping camp officials as they assisted authorities. Unable to even begin absorbing what had happened, she spent much of the day, she said, answering the main office phone. It rang constantly with calls coming in from media around the world. This was a massive story. I mean, yeah. Massive. Three little girls at a Girl Scout camp. Like. You can't get much bigger than the Girl Scouts. The Boy Scout camp in West Virginia, like the National Boy Scout camp, they actually fly Blackhawk helicopters over 24-7. And I'm sure it's due to shit like this. Hoffman finally got back to Tulsa that evening, met by her mother. She said it was then, for the first time that all day, that she cried. For some reason, seeing my mother made it real, she said. The worst moment, though, wouldn't come for a few days. Hoffman still remembers how it hit her. The terrible revelation. Sitting in the living room with her parents, she was poring over the newspaper and the latest reports about the murders. For the umpteenth time, she looked at the victims' faces and read the names. Lori Lee Farmer, Michelle Goose, Doris Denise Milner. And suddenly, Hoffman felt very sick. The bus ride to camp flashed in her mind. Then the bedtime check-in. Good night. See you in the morning. Suddenly, it all came back. Up to that moment, the first name, Doris, and the artificial quality of the photo had thrown her. It kept her from making the connection. Oh my God, Mom, Hoffman blurted out, holding up the newspaper. This is the girl I rode the bus with. This is Denise. Cam Scott had spent nearly 50 years hosting Girl Scouts, and after the events of June 13th, 1977, it was closed, and it never reopened. That's where we're going to end it for part one of this two-part series. There was only going to be a part one, and then we 
found a plethora of information. Eric went down a rabbit hole, y'all. I <laughs> really went deep on this one, and I partially regret it. But here we are. So in the next episode, we're going to cover the investigation. The shit show of the investigation. The, the complete utter mishandling of the investigation. And the trial. And you guys are what going to... You guys are going to be real pissed off about this one. Just go ahead and get ready and pour your drinks for next week. Yeah. Just go ahead and go to the liquor store, whatever you need, whatever you need to do to get through this. We'll promise either. to make we we've made it through the heaviest part. So. I honestly don't know if the first part or the second part's worse. So what you're telling me is another bottle of wine is going to be entailed for this second part. Can we get that same bottle as last week? Uh, oh. I oh. need I like that. that. I need that bottle. Yes, we can make that happen. We do like that. I will get one myself, and then you can get a second. <laughs> we don't need it. Yeah. Because <laughs> there is also some high strangeness that happens. Some I don't even know what the, what, I, what how yeah. deep you went down the rabbit hole. Extremely. He is Alice. Yeah. I was Alice last week. You were Alice last <laughs> week. <laughs> well, I believe that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. I almost said with my wine. Who wants to drop the socials? I'll drop the socials. Number one, thank you. This has been so much fun. <laughs> uh, make sure you guys follow us on our socials, the Facebook, the Facebook group, the Instagram. Uh, make sure you guys download the episodes. You can find them all through the link tree. You can actually go and if you find us somewhere where we are not listed at, where you want to listen at, and it's a one that you use all the time, let us know. Yeah. Yeah, just DM it to us. Yeah, DM mm-hmm. it to us. Um, also, make sure you guys review the show. We love reading what your comments are. Um, it does help us improve the mm-hmm. show when you make comments about it. We are trying to be a little bit better about uh, not coughing and like me over here coughing. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Review the show. Tell us what you think. We love you guys. Maybe send in some suggestions. Yeah. Um, DM us some suggestions yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Bye. Stay creepy. Stay creepy.